0: Welcome to Founding Impact, where we talk about impact startup ecosystem in Europe. I'm Matija Kivic,
1: and I'm Kasia Zalewska. We are impact angel investors from Ragnarsson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of Founding Impact. Uh, today, we're gonna uh, explore a completely new topic for us, which is fashion. And I invited today to join us uh, Rune Orlov from Pool, a Berlin based company that is doing some amazing stuff that we're gonna uh, talk about uh, in detail a little bit later. But maybe, Rune, could you please first start with uh, introducing yourself and why you're the best guy to talk about sustainable fashion?
2: Hello. Um, thanks for inviting me uh, in for this podcast. It's really exciting to be here. Um, quickly about Pool, maybe and about myself. Uh, I founded Pool with my co-founder Christian Rix um, about 12 months ago now, last summer, COVID summer. Uh, and Pool is uh, uh, joining the shared economy, but from the fashion point of view. So we, we created the shared wardrobe for menswear, um, and it's it works pretty much like a subscription service. So. Monthly payment, and then you can kind of go crazy in our gigantic wardrobe. Um, that's that's pretty much what we do. I we both come from from Denmark. Uh, I've been living in Berlin for the last eight years. I came here for a corporate position at Mykita, uh, an eyewear brand in Berlin. And Christian has a long history of starting tech companies. Um, so we we kind of combined the fashion lifestyle product that I come from, and then with his tech background. That's that's how we've set up. And right now, today, I'm sitting in our space in Kreuzberg, uh, which is our new headquarter, but also our members club or member space that we just opened last week.
1: Yeah. I can confirm the wardrobe is uh, gigantic and there's like a <laughs> lot of stuff to uh, browse through. you can confirm. Um, yeah. uh, we
2: have a member on the line.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm one of the members. <laughs> and I've been to the party on Thursday, a pool's party. So, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was cool. So uh, jumping back to the topic of uh, sustainable fashion, that's what we want to discuss today. A bit controversial question to you. Do you think is it even possible to make fashion sustainable? Because we all know that fashion itself as an industry is one of the biggest polluters uh, in the world, like uh, huge amounts of uh, CO2 emissions are coming from this direction. So do you think there is even a hope to make it more sustainable or sustainable like in a total?
2: absolutely i mean i i i i think it's very hard to define what a sustainable brand is or a sustainable company in general so i think we need to redefine what that means in general um we need to talk a bit more about responsibility uh when you're a corporation or a young company and also how you build the foundation and the belief system Uh, so that's one part of the sustainability aspect another thing is just in fashion it's very difficult to be sustainable but also profitable so, I do think that we can really see a lot of amazing companies out there doing a good job when they're small. And then, as soon as they have to start scaling, it becomes very difficult to avoid um, waste streams or, you know, just in general, like exploiting systems a little bit. Because, in order to grow, you need to look at your unit economics and so forth. And that's when it gets really, really complicated to stay sustainable. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's definitely some players out there that are doing a really good job, but at the same time, it's also very difficult for them to grow at the same speed and as some of the conventional players.
0: And when you say it's very difficult to be both sustainable and profitable, uh, can you tell us like what are the the biggest obst- obstacles for brands to to go into this direction?
2: But typically, if you, <clears throat> the way that I look at it at least is from a, a resource, from a uses of resources. Uh, if you look at the most basic thing in fashion is maybe material. Um, the market is built up with conventional materials that's been optimized uh, and made cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as production has been moved around the world. Um, it's very difficult to suddenly just have a, have a company of a certain size and then say, from today on, we are moving over to all these new sustainable materials without seeing a lot of issues along the way. Uh, one thing is being that it's perhaps a lot more pricey uh, on the meter. Uh, It could also be that there's a lot of uh, quality issues that you didn't foresee. It might be more sustainable, but it might not be lasting as long because these are newer materials. Um, If you're a larger company and and you require uh, a large quantity of material, this might also be an issue for some of the sustainable material vendors that are out there because they can't follow the 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 scalability within the market yet. So there's just from a quality quality standpoint, there's just a lot of issues coming along with scaling and scaling fast. Not if one company is doing it, but if the industry is moving this way, it's it's always an issue. Um, Just a small anecdote from our space, uh, which has nothing to do with that, but we wanted to create a sustainable space when we opened this members club. And one of the things that we wanted to see if we could do was to avoid uh, wood uh just wood being a very uh, very controversial uh, resource so we found this company in Spain and um, they do paper pulp so it's basically uh, card- uh, cardboard boxes that's been uh, you know watered uh, and pulped, so it's recycled cardboard uh, obviously they've removed all the glue and the tape and so forth and it becomes this uh, brown um, these brown boards that they compress and this this should should work instead of wood uh, but along the way of building our space we had so many issues with the material uh, first of all you, you can't put it close to the floor because you can't wash the floor if it gets wet it breaks um, it doesn't perform like wood in the same way uh, you know it, it's very very soft um and the biggest thing and that's maybe also where the fashion companies they were looking at it there was it, it's that um delivery time was six months to get these plates. Uh, we were lucky to get samples because we didn't need so much. But if anyone at a larger scale should should say, okay, fine, we go with honey instead of traditional wood. Um, six months waiting time for a material—it's it's just it's just a long time if you want to scale and operations fast. Um, so this is just some of the small learnings when you start converting into to new materials. But hopefully, this will change. We'll change with scale, but it takes time.
0: So, you would say like the the industry is optimized for certain types of materials that are not so sustainable, and then, if you want to improve at scale and really go into those more sustainable materials, obviously it's a bit complicated. there are technological issues um uh, there is not enough supply of different materials um so this is it also like kind of boils down to the environmental side of things I can imagine mm. uh um, no, absolutely. And um, uh, usually, when we when you hear about fashion, it's not only about pollution, but also about uh, social aspects. So, how does it look from the standpoint of uh, of of the conditions of workers in third world countries that are like an important uh, link in this in this whole supply chain?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we all know that this is this we've not we've not gone anywhere with this topic. It's still happening today. That that the uh, uh, third world country uh, workers are being exploited at big time and um, it's just covered up with all sorts of different story storylines um, but still you have the the major corporations uh, producing like they've always produced faster and cheaper and that will exploit social groups uh, everywhere so that's 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 that will, that's still happening for sure um, I, I don't know how to answer your question because obviously i I, <laughs> I don't I don't exactly um, how do I say that? I mean, there's so many different sides to sustainability mm-hmm. and being responsi- responsible as a company, uh, and it kind of all starts at the early stages of research and development, and obviously also design. Uh, and those small um, decisions you make at that time really defines the rest of the, the value chain for any given company. Um, so if you look at a material and you say should we take the, I don't know, organic certified uh, recycled version? There's, there's a very, very small uh, percentage number that's the differentiator when you look at it at that time. But at the end of the value chain, when you when you see the retail price, it might be a difference of 10, 20, 30 euros, which is major for for a lot of the big corporations. They need to get mm-hmm. that price into the right segment. And that's why it looks so weird if you just set up the calculation that, ah, okay, so you saved zero point some cents in the early stages that actually uh, created worse working conditions. Um, to just get the price under whatever amount it should be at the other end. And that's just this major calculation that's really difficult to cope with when you start scaling. And I think that that's what you see all the time. And back to the first question that you had, Mache, about sustainable companies, I think that's one of the first things that is really interesting to look at, is just how they how they put up their budgets for the con- converting into sustainability, because that's all about that calculation. It's really like, how are we spending the money and where where are we spending the money? when it comes to converting into better materials or less impactful materials, uh, so to speak.
1: How strong is, uh, you would say, the understanding that the industry needs to go into a sustainable way? How strong is this among like brands? Like How many of them are using it only like for a PR purposes and how many of them are really pushing towards the, the, the change?
2: If, I can't speak for everyone and I can also just... Mm-hmm talk about what I'm reading and what I'm seeing. Uh, so yeah. so I, I'm not the conclusion here. <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, I think that there's a there's a major positive trend towards doing something good. And that also leads to a lot of, unfortunate, a lot of uh, PR stories that are more like lighthouses rather than actual changes. Um, but I don't think that you see any company launching today or any new collections launching today where responsibility um you know, sustainability as a whole ha- has not been part of the conversation. Um, and and it's for better and for worse because it also diffuses the concept of sustainability when everyone's using it. Um, so, but I, I do think that you cannot do anything today without without uh, including that aspect to, to what you're producing and how you're making it and how you're treating everyone around.
1: Yep. Mm. And uh, the next step of that would be as we mentioned, some of them are using it only for PR, mm. most of them are really trying to, to, to push towards. But the, one mm. of the biggest questions that almost I think everyone is asking is like, there's a lot of greenwashing around. And can you give some examples of like the biggest lies uh, of making things sustainable that we should not trust or what things we should look at to make sure that it's not greenwashing?
2: No, I, I, I don't know if we need to give a certain example here because it's happening everywhere. And when you have a large corporation, whoever it is, uh, I don't need to mention any names, but if you have a gigantic corporation that's been doing billion-dollar businesses for a long time and then suddenly they come out with a small project and that's what comes out in communication, But they never stopped selling all the other products. They only focus on the marketing of the new things, but when you just step into any of the retailers or any of the online shops, the other products are still selling and that's what that's what's feeding the change. So, so you can call it greenwashing because... They are talking about positive change and about being green on one end, which is perhaps less than 1% of their business and everything else is still running. Uh, I've not seen any company out there that's been saying, now we've launched recycled material and from this day on, there's no conventional virgin material. I've never seen a company, they all say, "Uh, we've launched recycled and by 2030, we won't have any more you know, conventional virgin materials because they always want to fade out. And that's simply like, that's just pure business, uh, which is fair enough because they also have a lot of salaries to pay and all these kind of things that has to go along with with running a, a large corporation. But the problem is a bit that it's a promise. It's not a change. It's like a promise into 2030. We think that we might achieve not using any conventional materials, but it's all about financial bottom line. That's not about change. That's not about sustainability. Uh, so in that way, I think all of those concepts are complete greenwashing because uh, they are not really taking consequences on their bottom line. They are only using it as a PR stunt and continuing everything else they're doing. And this, this is almost everyone. And some are better at talking about it than others. And I think some of them are also really trying to step up the game, like spending a lot of money and like trying to push change. And I also think that's a big part of it. Because, yeah, I mean, if you look at it, it's also, that's what we work a lot on here. It's like, you know, user behavior. How can we change the day-to-day user behavior into taking better choices? Um, so the fact that everyone is pushing a, g- a green agenda, uh, that's great for everyone um, uh, that are trying to push a green agenda, and especially all the startups, because they get a lot of attention. Um, but when it comes down to these lighthouse projects for a lot of the big companies, um, it's it's difficult not to say that that's not greenwashing, you know. It's it because it is it is very diffusing for the end user. Um, it would be interesting to see if you could have like a transparent setup of of how much marketing money goes into it and how how big of a part of the revenue it actually is at the end of the day, mm-hmm.
0: um,
2: or how much loss it loss loss it has had <laughs> uh, in in the conversion time, because uh, that's really the interesting part, I think.
0: And you you touched a bit uh, the the behavior of users. Um, so at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned on the supply side of things, their material are not materials are not readily available and they're more expensive than the, tr- the traditional ones. So the supply side is somewhat limited by technology, by established supply chains, and basically all the brands need time to to convert but how does the situation look like on the demand side? Are consumers pushing to the extent that companies are not able to deliver or the consumers are not so much aware of the problem and it's still like a small niche of people who who, um, um, take sustainability uh, seriously?
2: I think think it's still a very small, I think we're just at the beginning of really converting uh, the average user uh, or everyone, the mainstream, Um, and that's really the space that we are trying to work in it's almost to to trick people into thinking that this is this is the the best and coolest product out there but it's actually also green Um, because there's been there's been so many attempts to try to create very sustainable looking brands where everything is very sustainable and very green and very beige and I think that only speaks to a certain niche and we're missing that mainstream um, and uh, I, I, like that's one of the topics that we've also talked about before, the three of us, like how we actually make sure that the foundation of the products that we are delivering have a positive, not a positive, but a, a, a less bad impact. Uh, but at the same time, we also compete at the highest level of creativity and you know culture when it comes to fashion, because fashion is really about culture and, and how we wear is, you know, we we wear what we the time we live in. So. If we can combine those two things, that's, that's really key for me. And what we're doing is it's all about ownership. So we're trying to see that we're trying to change the perspective of users by changing the perspective of, of ownership. Um, and I think that, that redefines uh, how you would think about your personal impact as a, as a customer and how you would buy into this topic because in this way you can actually still wear the brands that you feel most comfortable with and that you sort of align with on a style basis but at the same time you also know that uh, that your action was less impactful now that's that's just a quite interesting space because if you would if you would remove all conventional products off the shelves tomorrow uh, the (laughs) the retail scene and online scene would be would be completely empty um so i I, you know you could stop an industry but we can also try to convert it very fast so we're trying.
0: and when you speak with your members, so mm. for me, you're a bit of an uh, um, an interesting example because you have, uh, in my humble opinion, very fancy clothing in, in general, and I, I guess this is also your, your one of your value propositions. But um, if you look at your members, is which part of the of the value proposition is the most important important to them, like the, the fanciness of of the clothing, the sharing economy? or the sustainability, or do you see any kind of patterns when it comes to their perception of, of your company?
2: I mean, we, we, talk, we, we really talk a lot about this, uh, me and Christian, my co-founder, um, because, um, how to say this in the best way? Because we, when we're we we starting out with the user experience, going through the space, one of the first things in our early surveys was really that there's no one that, uh, that they, people like new things. Even though they want to be sustainable, they still like to wear a new shirt uh, when they have to go to a to a party or to an interview or something because it makes it makes a character. It makes people feel comfortable, and that doesn't matter if whatever brand it's from. But it feels it feels nice to sometimes have something new, um, and that speaks against the slow fashion uh, uh, side of things. But that's that's also one percentage uh, that that's into that. But so when we talk about this experience coming through our space and and, and how we are dealing with brands, Mache, it's very much. It's very much about this thing about tricking people into feeding and getting all these, you know, these attributes of the classic fashion industry, but with a, le- with a lower impact. And I think that many mm-hmm. of the, I would say 50-50 today, some people come in here because they think it's more sustainable and they want to be part of it. It's a community. We talk a lot about it on, in our social channels. And we're also very aware that this is a, it's a better way of consuming. But at the same time, I think the last 50%, they also come here because they want to be part of the brands that we have. Um, they want to get that that simple feeling of of, of shopping, but at a completely different price level. Um, so at the moment, it's really like a 50 50 story. You know, some use it because they can afford our service versus buying all the products new, uh, and the other half they come here because they really want to change the way that they are they're doing it. But I think everyone that comes in, they've really with COVID. Uh, and the whole stories of, like, changing your personal behavior and not being able to go out and so forth. And everyone really has an opinion about how they want to consume and how they want to live, and that's quite interesting that there's really, like, there's a high awareness on this topic. But still, back to the official numbers, I think if you start looking into statistics, uh, you know, 70 to 80% they say they want to live a more sustainable life, but it's still under 10% that actually shop and, and act in that way, unfortunately.
0: But I like what you said about kind of tricking people into um, that they, I mean, to some extent, they need to change their behavior because your model is all about renting. Mm. But on the other hand, they still have this feeling of getting something new for, for themselves, mm. which is so, the, it's, the change is not so dramatic. Like, it's not like they need to abandon getting new clothing at all because they still want to go to the party and maybe wear something kind of new, at least for them. And you decrease the, the footprint of, of of this, this behavior uh, in, in general. I mean, it's, it's, it's still the, the, the renting part that needs to change and the, the mindset of the people, but um, it's interesting that you don't need to kind of mm. do everything at once, just, uh, just piece by piece to, to, to decrease the footprint of, of, of an average consumer. Mm. Cool. This, but I, think I
2: think one thing is very important and you work a lot on this topic. Um, I think one of the first things that we agreed on and we also agree with all the users, no one ever picked a product Purely out of the the you know impact story, the impact story might have have like you know uh, triggered an attention to this brand or the product. But at the end of the day, you are putting your credit card in because you like the product and you feel like it fits and it feels good. Um, so so in the beginning, this sustainability attribute is all about the attention to the brand and that you can stand behind it as a brand. But before you actually put this T-shirt on, this still needs to feel good and be the right fit and and look. So I also think for us, we've always talked about these the, the best case scenario stories is that you go into somewhere, you get a product, and then when you come home and you look inside the pocket, there's this amazing story about this product and how it's made and how it's, you know, actually very, very uh, positive. Uh, and it, it took, took everyone in the value chain into account. And, you know, that in that way, you're really creating a brand uh, that you can stand behind because you chose the product first. And it's also fashion, so it, it, it made, you, made you look in a certain way that you, that you were aspiring to. And at the same time, the story came behind as a foundational thing for this product. And that really creates fans, I think, and that really creates the, the value. So I, I think it's just very important to, to remember why we're all in this industry <laughs> and why we're here. I mean, if it was all because of the stories, we would all be wearing very different things.
0: Um the, the, the product is still kind of the, the most important factor and how it looks and, and But feels I, kn- I know I know it
2: from you. I mean you're a great example. You also just don't pick anything off the shelf, you're also picky. Right? I mean and that's <laughs> I mean you're not, what you're do not you mean? <laughs> no, I just mean I just mean that you know everyone is picking what they think is nice. You're not picking what is the most sustainable product I have. You're picking yeah. It. Yeah, I you're agree. picking it I because agree. you still have to wear it. You still have to stand behind that look. Um, so I think that it's just something that's never really talked about and it's always about when we talk about sustainability it's always about industry and i think people tend to forget that somebody also needs to wear the garments um so i think the bands doing the best is the ones that are, that keep focus on design keep focus on creating great products but that just get better and better at uh, the at, um, decreasing their impact
1: mm-hmm. so to to summarize a little bit like what do you think w- in order for the fashion industry to become more sustainable and go into the right right direction, where would you put the the weight more on? On the side of brands that they need to change their behavior, produce and all of that, or or, or would you put more uh, on the consumer side? Who's more responsible, so to say, for the fashion to become more sustainable?
2: For me, I would never, ever put the responsibility on the consumer side. Because the consumers, they have been tricked into doing what they're doing today through marketing, Mm -hmm. Uh, years and years of marketing. So I would never say that the industry has to change and it has to come from the consumer side. That might happen. And it's also happening slowly now with the younger groups demonstrating and all these different things that are happening, the positive things. But at the same time, I mean, for me, it's all about the industry and it's all about the industry taking responsibility. I think we've talked about this before, you know, imagine if the industry was in charge of their products until the end of life, you know, how would they act? You know, if, if you couldn't sell off the responsibility of a product, because that's pretty much what's happening today. Uh, once it's sold from, your, from your, your warehouse to a consumer, it's kind of out of your, out of your loop and it's not your responsibility anymore. And, and uh, it would be quite interesting to see if the people producing the garments also have the responsibility to take care of them until the end of life. Um, so I, for me, it's always industry first that has the responsibility, and we also don't have to talk about it anymore to the consumer. We don't have to talk about the responsibility of the industry because that's very much a B two B thing. I think that we should we should spend a lot of a lot of resources into design teams that are educated and that are understanding how you can create beautiful products uh, with less imp- impactful methods because uh, that's really going to change things. The better products we can make. Um, the better the better we can trick the customers into buying uh, buying better products uh, or better uh, less uh, de- decreased impactful products uh, along the way but i don't think it's going to come you know it's not going to come from from the users um, we might help them along the way to understand and transparency is one of the key topics here but it's not it's not very interesting for for an average user
0: like from my perspective this is a bit of a sad news because if you think about it, if you're not able to um, expect some responsibility from consumers, and you, as a, as a brand, you need to do all the heavy lifting, that basically means that you would do it if, if it's profitable for you, or you're forced by by some regulations. Um, and um, I mean, at the end of the day, if if you do it without like a good level of profitability. You need to increase the prices for consumers, and if they're not not responsible, they wouldn't be able to and willing to pay more for different products. And I've seen it also in the in the food space. Like uh, talking with different people, they're saying now consumers are not going to pay more for something more sustainable. At least this is not what we believe in. So we need to change internally. But uh, at the uh, at the same uh, um, at the same time, it's it's difficult for us to kind of keep the same level of profitability.
2: Hmm. But I, I think there's a very big difference in educating people and taking better choices and mm-hmm. then, then blaming them that they are the reason for the industry being being where it is. Um, because, I, I mean, I know that there's the, one of the things that we work in is, of course, overproduction and overconsumption as, as like the specific numbers of impact. Uh, but the overconsumption uh, comes from the users, but it's still fed by the industry. Yeah. And, and that's that's just what I mean, like that, that it's, we need to define systems from the industry side if it's uh, if it's regulations official regulations or if it's i don't know what it could be that that would that trick the industry into into being more responsible um, but at the end of the day <laughs> we can't blame the consumers for buying products that we've been promoting and uh, that's that's why i'm saying that it, it also in, according to price you know if you look at it, I don't think you can compare food uh, with fashion in that sense um, but if you want to uh, then I also think that the, the price topic will also change as we go if more and more people will start uh, sourcing responsibly these uh, sourcing uh, or th- these materials would also uh, with scale uh, be more accessible for more brands and in that way mm-hmm. we can we can get it uh, more demographic out um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I have a better answer than that for your question.
0: Got it. And uh, when we are talking about the solutions, um, mm-hmm. so you're more into the, the space of uh, renting instead of owning. And what are the, what other solutions or trends do you see on the market that help with uh, improving the, the bottom line?
2: In general, besides, besides what we're doing? Yeah, um, obviously, there's a lot of changes into new materials. So there's a whole material revolution going on. Uh, I think that, that that's, that's also obvious to a lot of people. You see a lot of interesting materials coming into the market besides just being recycled uh, and the qualities and the prices are getting more and more accessible. So I think this is extremely exciting. Um, we talked about transparency before. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's a topic that needs to be touched on because that's very much the social aspect of the industry. Where, where are my garments coming from? Where, how did they get here? Uh, who made them? Um, that's that's a huge topic that I think has to has to be part of the conversation always. Um, I also think that there's 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 been a great movement in, uh, you know, the inside of many other companies that wanna go more uh, sustainable and responsible is to really look inside and say how could we treat our people better, uh, our own people, the ones that sit in our own offices. And especially with COVID, it was quite an interesting turnaround. With all these like companies coming out and being like, okay, this is what we're doing for our team. This is how we're treating them. This is how their home office looks, and all these things are also super, super important. That we actually like start really putting the inside out of these companies, so it's not um, it's not a secret anymore how, how it's operating and how 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 it's actually imp- impactful. Because I think that also leads to the decision of the end users at the end of the day, and um, so that's really exciting. Um, but I, as as uh, as you know, we are working in the space of anti-ownership, which I think is really interesting because one of the big topics now is like where are the resources coming from in the fu- uh, in the future? You know, where 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 are all the resources like cotton and all these materials that are being used? Where is it going to come from? Uh, and and a lot of people talk about the resources or like the the suppliers of the futures uh, of the future will be customers because everyone like. All the, the private wardrobes out there, they hold so many garments that will eventually be uh, be able to be recycled into new garments and feed the industry. So if the customers are feeding the industry, how do we set up systems that can actually cope with that? So I think that's some of the really interesting topics that are happening now. Uh, and I, I, I really like to look at business models as a way of changing it. And and maybe also just, again, models of, of supply chain. How do we actually, where do we get our garments from? How do we source and what's what what does it mean to have end of life? What does it mean to have a used product? Um, how are we looking at wholesale versus resale, worth, uh, retail versus resale, uh, and so forth? There's a lot of interesting topics that are also touching on sustainability here, but it's it's not in the forefront of the story right now. I think that's going to come.
0: Cool, cool. And do you have any any specific examples uh, of of, of companies, startups, in this space uh, that that you would like to mention? Something that was especially cool for you. Apart, your, uh, apart from yourself, obviously. <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know. We have so many companies that we've been working with um, here that I, that I think are doing a great job. Um, but it's, everything is very conventional. And I think, I don't know if there's anyone specific, but I, I see now that, um, that people are really trying to embrace these new models. Almost every single fashion brand out there with a web shop, they are embracing the reselling. Uh, uh, aspect. I mean, good example is Solan. Solan is one of the brands that we work with. They're from Copenhagen, and um, uh, I know that they've now incorporated a reselling part of their webshop. So that actually becomes part of it. So when you're browsing the new products, you can also browse products that are reselling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's completely integrated in the in the in their main site. That's really interesting because that also diffuses the story around seasons, and diffuses the story around like when is when is products like available for the market, and when should they not be available? You know, this whole thing that we've always looked at as an industry, like when is spring coming out, when autumn coming out, coming out, when is it like fashion week, and when are these fashion week products actually landing in the store? And if you're starting mixing up the reselling actu- uh, aspect of the industry into this first first store, then then the, then then it's really changing everything. Uh, so that that's really exciting. I've been I've been talking a lot with Jacob at Solan about that. Um, yeah, I think that's maybe a good example of things that are really changing on the top line.
0: Cool. Okay, um, to sum it up a bit, uh, we had a great conversation like starting from the sustainability of the industry as a whole. We we touched a bit the topic of the environmental impact and the social impact and it's a, there are no good answers here. It's, it's a complicated um, um, thing to do the transformation for major brands that are the biggest polluters. Uh, because of the complexity of this of their supply chains, but at the same time, um, we we also talked that consumers are still the ones that are still very concerned about sustainability is still a fraction of um, of the entire market, and uh, th- we definitely didn't reach the the mainstream yet. Um, it was also very interesting to to talk about greenwashing as a. Uh, as something that basically every brand does, <laughs> even if even if maybe they are not um, um, uh, trying to to trick us, uh, but still like if you look at uh, from the perspective, it's maybe one percent of what they do that it's really sustainable, and everything else uh, is is business as usual. Um, yeah, and uh, at the end we also talked a bit like uh, about potential solutions. Um, you mentioned transparency, obviously sharing economy, uh, like in your case, and new sustainable materials that at scale could could uh, com- uh, compete with the uh on the price level with with the existing materials and that would be a huge boost for the industry to to decrease their uh, uh, its its footprint um yeah i think we have uh, we have an overview of, of everything um Arun, do you have any uh any last uh, recommendations for uh, startup founders in this uh space or observations that would be valuable to to share to them
2: um i think one of the things that we that we always talk a lot about and i think we've also talked about it in our conversations is this thing about scale um because there's so many incredible uh young fashion brands out there that are starting out extremely uh, sustainable doing a good job in sourcing and producing and designing but as soon as they have to start scaling it becomes very difficult so so I, i i don't know for many of the startup brands that are out there and also for the platforms like us, you know, it's just really interesting to start looking at how this, how the impact looks when you start scaling, because that's been also the same conversation with materials. Uh, recycled material might be good, but if you start scaling it at the same size as conventional materials, then it might not be good anymore. So mm-hmm. I think that whole, that whole balance between startup uh, and then a scaled version, we need, we just need more sustainable brands that are starting to scale uh and um i think that's that's one of the most important things of the of this impact story because without the scale we don't have true impact so yep we need to start scaling.
0: <laughs> got it got it uh f- cool thank you so much run for uh, for being with us today uh it was a pleasure talking with you and like um that. yeah <laughs> thank you so much uh for the conversation and uh, see you next time
2: see you next time thanks for today.